This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's programme... Right now, in Russia, there are just few means left to defend human rights. Hundreds of people have been arrested now in protests against the new military draft. We want to ensure that the Russian human rights community feels part of the universal human rights movement. Nearly 2,000 kilometers from Moscow, anger at Vladimir Putin's partial mobilization. Excluding Russia from various organizations, Council of Europe, Human Rights Council, are you isolating them from all concepts like universal human rights? Hello and welcome to Inside Geneva. Now, many of our listeners will know we have focused a lot in the last six months on what's happening in Ukraine. Today, we're going to take a more in-depth look at Russia and in particular how from a Western, if you like, perspective, an international Geneva perspective, how we can support human rights defenders in Russia. We know they are there. We know that many have taken a very brave stance protesting against the war. What can we do to support them? The UN Human Rights Council is thinking about appointing a special rapporteur to look at human rights in Russia. Is that a good step? That's the kind of thing we're going to be discussing today. And to talk about that, I'm delighted to be joined by Violetta Fitzner from the Russian Human Rights Group, OVD. She joins us today from Warsaw. Gerald Staparot, Secretary General of the World Organization Against Torture, and his organization maintains ties to human rights defenders in Russia tries to support them, and our regular analyst, Daniel Warner. Violetta, I'm going to come to you first. You have worked until recently as a human rights defender inside Russia. Now, most of us can't even quite imagine how challenging, how risky that must be. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, what you've been doing the last six to eight months and what your organization is doing? Um, yes, sure. Um, the thing is uh, that uh, due to the ongoing for a decade, the systematic violations of human rights and repressions against the civil society, it is really hard for uh, representatives of civil society to, to work in general uh, on Russia and especially to work inside of Russia because all of uh, the representatives of civil society, they're also at risk as ordinary Russians for expressing their dissenting views or uh, if we talk about war, expressing their anti-war positions, but also they are persecuted for their work itself. And for example, now there are several cases uh, where the lawyers were persecuted under this new article for discrediting the use of armed forces because of their speech at court uh, when they were defending activists who were speaking uh, against war. So you see that the lawyers and human rights defenders uh, are not untouchable in Russia and it's getting even uh, harder and harder for them to continue their important work and try to defend human rights at the national level. Gerald? What do you think when you hear that? 
right at the at the start of the conflict, I remember you came on Inside Geneva and we were talking about what we could be looking at in the months to come. And you warned against completely isolating Russia. You said we have to maintain ties, particularly with human rights groups, human rights defenders. And yet, Violetta told me before the program that she and her group felt quite isolated. Yeah, I think that this is a big threat in a situation like this, that uh, we actually have a human rights community that has already been under pressure for such a long time, obviously faces a very, very difficult decision at the moment. And, and Violetta's organization had probably very little choice but to go outside in order to continue the work. But ultimately, we want, and this is why this is such a crucial moment, irrespective of the war, though the war, of course, feeds the environment, we have to ensure and ask ourselves, how can we make sure that basic fundamental human rights work based on universal human rights standards can continue in Russia? And one of the things that I always find, if we look at Russia, we, we see all the, the repression and the, the armada of laws, etc. But we have one of the most sophisticated, most professional and most resourceful and dedicated human rights community in the region. And for a global network like ours, we actually have our Russian colleagues train and brief uh, partners across the world. Uh, so it's not terra incognita, but you have wonderful people that deserve the support, number one. Number two, I think primarily we have to ensure that they can continue working in Russia wherever we can. And it's very important that they get the sense of that they are not isolated, but they still have the support. They can serve, continue to serve in the networks they're part of. Now, I think there is a crucial moment here. We have the Council of Europe leaving. Therefore, the main remedy for most human rights advocates in Russia was going locally, but then to European Court of Human Rights. This is a crucial moment where we have to think about how can we ensure that human rights work in Russia can continue. And I turn a bit to the Human Rights Council discussion on, on a special mandate, uh, which has a lot of purpose and, and, and legitimacy. But it's not so much because we want to isolate Russia, but it's very much so because we want to make sure that victims have a place to turn to and that those who help those victims are part of a community of certain norms and standards. So the perspective is really about how we help people in Russia because the Russian organizations do an incredible work like the organization of Violetta on monitoring law enforcement, but also in terms of prison work, on victim support, in all areas. Danny, I saw you had your hand up there. What do you think about what you're hearing? I mean, what do you think from the perspective of, of international Geneva could, could usefully be done? Well, I think there's a huge problem here. Uh, for Gerald, uh, when he talks about supporting human rights defenders, I can see people in Russia saying, oh, those are foreign agents or undesirable organizations. And the question is, if someone from the outside, using Gerald's terms, supports the people inside Russia or organizations like Violetta, don't you open yourself to that kind of comment that you're a foreign agent interfering in the internal affairs? In the latest blow to Russia's dwindling civil society, the Supreme Court there has ordered the liquidation of one of the country's most prominent human rights groups. Memorial was founded in... 19- yeah, I think it's, it's, it's basically making sure that um, Russian human rights defenders and human rights organisations, 
which are very Russian. I mean, think about Memorial, who was declared a foreign agent. Think about the Moscow Helsinki Group. How can you be more Russian than that? How can you be more Russian than that when you created in Soviet time where you had very little prospect of actually having the space to do what you wanted to do? Uh, how can you declare those, those people as foreign agents? What we want to achieve, I think, is that we don't isolate proactively Russian human rights offenders, that we don't say, you're not part of the universal human rights system anymore. You don't have access there anymore because you're Russian. You can't travel to our countries anymore because you're a Russian human rights offender. And, and that's where we have to be careful. We want to ensure that the Russian human rights community feels part of the universal human rights movement and effectively also can continue using the mechanism that are there for protection. And there we come back to the issue of what Geneva International, in a way, can do. Violetta, I definitely want to come to you on that. I saw you smiling and, and nodding there when Gerald was talking. Do you feel heartened by what he's got to say? Yeah, actually, uh, this is really, I'm really glad that you mentioned this uh, foreign agent law and, uh, and desirable organizations law. In Russia, because uh, the organization uh, where work uh, OVD Info is also, of course, recognized as foreign agents. And uh, in fact, uh, I think there is no prominent human rights organization in Russia that, that was not yet recognized as foreign agent. And um, uh, some people hold that it's kind of a quality mark, but I think uh, this is not because uh, this status leads to discriminative uh, restrictions for all the organizations. And it's really hard to continue the work after they receiving this status. And I also wanted to add to the isolation that uh, the thing is that right now in Russia, there are just few means left to defend human rights and to address the human rights violations in Russia. For example, as I mentioned, that it's really hard to do it uh, at the national level. I mean, our human rights defenders try, but you understand that it's quite challenging. And after the expulsion of uh, Russia from the Council of Europe, that means that we don't have any uh, regional means to defend uh, human rights in Russia as well. So that's why only United Nations can be can help us and can provide such uh, means for uh, defending human rights. And uh, I think uh, personally that this special rapporteur on human rights can be an effective mechanism because it will um, help to not isolate, exactly, to not isolate the civil society. It will provide them a platform where human rights defenders can provide the information, the reports, the data on what is going on in Russia. And um, also, it will be possible to meet with the civil society in person or offline in Russia or outside of Russia. So I think this is one of the steps that should be taken. But to, it's not enough. We need to ensure that the human rights in Russia, human rights violations in Russia are addressed. And uh, I hope in future they will be protected. Danny, let's come to you. You heard Violetta there say only the United Nations. Now, interesting concept, isn't it? I mean, Putin can't class the United Nations as a foreign agent. So although here in Geneva, we know that there are a multitude of special rapporteurs, if, and it looks very likely, there will be one now for Russia, that is clearly very important to human rights defenders like Violetta. 
Well, to me, the question, Imogen, is excluding Russia from various organizations, Council of Europe, Human Rights Council, are you isolating them from all concepts like universal human rights? And it seems to me Gerald's point and Violetta's point is that you have to continue dealing with them because you have to continue dealing with the universality of the human rights. So I understand that both of you would be against exclusion. Am I correct or not? Gerald, I see you you and Violetta nodding. I think um, in, in a way you have to say that what we need from the United Nations human rights system vis-a-vis Russia, I think, is a dual strategy. On one side, uh, I think there needs to be a political response and a political engagement to keep Russia in the system through a special rapporteur. That's the way I see it. I don't see it as a punishment process. I see it as a tool that has been developed in order to engage states where the situation is very critical, especially for the space to defend rights, but uh, for a number of other human rights issues as well, to ensure at this crucial juncture that Russia stays within the system while recognizing a, a massive deterioration. And, and of course, some people say, why, why Russia? Why another mandate in, in addition to Ukraine, etc.? And I can see that. But you could also ask, uh, why was there radio silence by the Human Rights Council for 20 years on Russia, where everybody who has worked on Russia has seen this steady deterioration coming, and maybe because of that deterioration today, things are possible that are possible. But I also think there's a second element that very few people speak about, and that is, where do the victims of violations that exist in Russia, where do they turn to in the future? The Council of Europe system is, well, it's still operating to some extent for some years. There is a sort of transition period. But basically, it's an avenue that is gone. You have lots of Russian human rights lawyers, lawyers generally, who are accustomed to bring cases to international bodies. They will go to the United Nations. They will go to the UN Human Rights Committee and others that are accepted by Russia. And I would like to see of the new High Commissioner some initiative for strategic reflection of how his systems can deal with this because ultimately what we want we want victims a place to turn to and that has to be a place in russia and frankly despite all the shortcomings you have even on torture you have sometimes convictions for torture in russia sometimes the system works it's it's not totally useless to go to domestic remedies in Russia, but they also need realistic chance to access international remedies. And these cases will come to Geneva. And I I think we need this dual strategy, a political response through the council that engages Russia on keeping the space open on human rights, and a second one that deals with the victims and the casework that needs to have an avenue. Violetta, What do you think about that? I mean, I don't know how often you've been in Geneva, but you may know that the the wheels of the United Nations can turn rather slowly. You may not get lots of results that quickly. Yeah, I've been there once, but I understand that. Uh, I also wanted to add that that you mentioned uh, the um, Council of Europe and the European Court of Human Rights. But the thing is, right now, more than 17,000 of applications against Russia are pending there. And uh, if you imagine that all these applications, I mean, the, the similar number of applications will go to the United Nations mechanisms, uh, we understand that all of them, they will be overwhelmed. I mean, there is the Human Rights Committee 
and it's possible to feel uh, individual compliance to there, but the committee is not that effective as the European Court of Human Rights and uh, the petition unit will not be able to address this amount of uh, compliance against Russia. And I also think maybe this is why there is also a need to of reformation or maybe it's possible to expand staff or financing of uh, this mechanism as well because last year I think we uh, submitted 3,000 of cases to the European Court of Human Rights so you can imagine how many of them are going to be in the UN and there is definitely a need to do something with that, to address it and to ensure that the victims of human rights violations in Russia are protected at some level. President Putin has announced a partial military mobilization to help fight the war in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin has mobilized an army of Russians fleeing the country. Can I ask you all about the most recent developments to do with the mobilization. And we've seen now many, many Russians trying to leave big lines at the border with Georgia, flights to Yerevan sold out, and yet a somewhat mixed reaction from Europe. Some uh, EU member states, the Baltic states, don't want to let them in. And some have suggested, no, they should be staying and fighting for human rights in Russia. Gerald, I'm going to ask you first, then Danny, and then, and then Violetta. What kind of strategy should be taken there? We did hear UN human rights voicing concern earlier this week. I think it's a difficult question, but um, I think somebody who needs protection has to be able to access protection. That's, I think, the bottom line in some way. I mean, of course, um, you may want people to to voice their resistance against the war more broadly. Uh, and if all the good people that basically reject the war leave, it is not good for the country either. I mean, that's clear. But at the same time, if you imagine yourself in that situation, I think you would be pretty happy to get uh, refuge when you need it. And and you have the European governments uh, in Lithuania, I think, and, and some other Baltic states being quite critical here. Uh, but I was quite amazed to, to read the statement of the Kazakh president uh, yesterday, who basically said, yes, we have to accept that these people are coming. I mean, I generally think if somebody is falsely recruited into, into armed services in a, in, in a war of aggression, which I think it is, um, I think there should be some support to people who don't want to serve. But we also want Russian society, obviously, to speak out. I know how difficult it is. But yeah, in the long run, I think uh, political isolation is one thing, but the isolation of people is another thing. I've learned early on in my work life, uh, working for the Organization for Security Cooperation in Europe, I know from the divisions in, in Europe and the German division, etc., how important human context will be. And, and whatever the reaction now is, on the long run, we have to make sure that on the human side, we make sure that uh, we don't isolate. And think about Belarus. I think the reason why Belarus is reacting differently and maybe isn't part of the war today, I think it is because it's it's subject to information. It has a different base uh, for information and others. It is not as isolated in terms of the human contacts. And we have to preserve that in some way. Danny? 
I think this is a very difficult issue. I mean, to get asylum, you really have to prove that you're being persecuted. And I do think most people feel a certain nationalism that you should be defending your country. There's a silly article out about Snowden. Now that Snowden's a Russian citizen, should he serve in the army? Uh, And the implication of that to me, is that every good citizen should serve. So the fact that people are leaving Russia because they don't want to go in the army poses problems for asylum, but also emotionally, uh, it seems to be an easy way out of a situation. Uh, So I think it's complicated for countries to say we'll accept them or we won't. Violetta, what do you think? Well, I think that if uh, we count these people who are leaving because they don't want to fight in the war, and if we count people who are persecuted under the, uh, the uh, new articles for fake war news and discrediting the use of armed forces and those people who are arrested at the anti-war protest, we can see that there's actually a lot of people who are against this war and who want it to end. So... In my opinion, I think it is a good idea to support all these people because uh, especially if they want to leave the country or especially if they feel that they are in great danger because of their descending views and war views and work, probably it it will be a good idea to help and support those people, those males that that decided to leave Russia because they don't want to participate in this uh, illegal war as well. Okay, so the summary of that seems to be, I think, what Gerald said. Politicians, perhaps you can isolate, but not people, that we need to keep the hand outstretched. The government arrested more than 13,000 protesters in the first two weeks of the war. In the Siberian city of Yakutsk, wide-ranging protests against the new government measures aimed at recruiting hundreds of thousands. We are almost at the end of Inside Geneva, primarily also because Violetta is going to talk in just a few minutes to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Um, And let's hope they will listen to the important things she has to say. So I've got one final question for each of you. I'm going to start with Danny, then Gerald, and then last word to Violetta. Um, Can we see anything positive coming down the line? We should get the special rapporteur for Russia. That looks very likely. But is there any momentum now for some kind of change or at least slowing down of this conflict? And what more can we do to support people like Violetta, who are, after all, the future of the Russia we we might like to see? Danny, you first. I think the optimism I can come up with would be at a recent meeting of the Shanghai Corporation Organization. Neither the Chinese nor the Kazakhs came out strongly in defense of the war and in Russia. And it does seem to me China especially has a great role to play. Uh, And the fact that the Chinese are not coming out in full support of Russia and this war leaves me to believe that Putin may be isolated not only from the West, but also from China and other countries, which would be important for him. Gerald? Well, maybe... I I think we have to, of course, everything is influenced by the war in Ukraine. But when we speak about human rights in Russia, we also have to make sure this is not the only way to look at human rights in Russia. 
there's a lot of human rights work ongoing and that we want to continue ongoing that that is not connected to the war. It's also that civic space has been shrinking before. It's not only because of the war. And I think when we think about the work of a special rapporteur on Russia, for example, a key message will be to look precisely at the continuity also in some way of human rights work and not have every topic on Russia and human rights directly under under this umbrella of the war, because then I think it will be very difficult to make progress ultimately. I have, maybe it doesn't fit here, but uh, I'm always driven by a statement of a friend of mine who has actually brought the first cases to the European Court of Human Rights and the Human Rights Committee in the 90s. And I introduced her at meetings that she won those cases against Russia. She always contradicted me. She said, Gerald, no, I won them for Russia. And I think if we think about what we want to achieve is we want to achieve that rights matter in Russia and that we can carve out as many spheres where these rights can still mean something. That's in a way a strategy. On the geopolitics, it's very difficult these days to find optimism. Violetta, I hesitate even to ask you for optimism, and yet you have brought so much, in a sense, to this program with the things that your organization does, with the day after day, week after week, month after month work to keep human rights in Russia in the spotlight, get some attention for it, remind people here at the UN in Geneva that this is an important field. But I will ask you, nevertheless, what do you see for the next few months and do you see any grounds for optimism? Well, we definitely hope that this mandate for special rapporteur will be uh, adopted uh, because we know that there are uh, discussions are happening uh, in the ongoing session of the Human Rights Council and we really hope that other states uh, will vote for it. We know there is a support from European countries, uh, but we also hope that other countries will uh, vote for. And in general, we are really grateful that we have uh, um, colleagues and friends from different international organizations uh, to help us uh, to continue our work and to, to keep this bridge between Russia and the outside world. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Inside Geneva. My thanks to Violetta Fitzner of the Russian Human Rights Group, OVD, to Gerald Stabarok of the World Organization Against Torture, to our analyst, Daniel Warner, and thanks to you for listening. A reminder, you've been listening to Inside Geneva, a Swiss Info production. You can hear more by going to our website, swissinfo.ch. Take a listen to some of our other editions of the podcast, from the UN's tricky relationship with China to the search for justice by survivors of human rights violations to an in-depth look at how the ICRC works to support prisoners of war and their families. And, of course, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Imogen Folks. Thank you again for listening to Inside Geneva. Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archaeological site – 
and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time.